Hey folks, it's your boy Timmy C here with another episode of Death of a Thousand Cuts doing the introduction. I could didn't, could didn't need to announce that it was the introduction you'd have learnt. You're wise enough to know from context. Anyway, today's episode, if you've if you went too fucking blasé to read the show notes, is um is me chatting to the author Guy Gunnaratney uh, about his novel In Our Mad and Furious City. We had a really long chat which I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. There was an element of uh, my fanboying uh, in this episode. I mean, all the episodes where I'm speaking to an author and people that I've chased down for purely selfish reasons because I want to speak to them because there's something about their work I'm fascinated by or that I love or I just want to get some info or some kind of answer out of them. It's always me kind of scratching my own itch. And the reason I wanted to speak to Guy is because I read his book and it fucking blew my mind. Uh, I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes, but I heartily just do it now. Don't even listen to the interview before. Give in to that little bit of impulse. Your lack of impulse control that is so often in your life a burden. Um, turn it in this moment into a plus and uh, click on the link in the show notes and uh, buy yourself a copy of In Our Mad and Furious City. It's a really great novel. We talk about it uh, in some detail in how he kind of like came to write it. And I hope there's going to be lots of, I hope there's going to be lots of craft stuff in there for you that's going to be useful for you, especially if you're writing anything and using first person voices. There's five first person voices in this novel and they're all so good um and it's a really great plot as well so in london um he goes into to, to, he to talks a bit about what it's about uh at the moment at the time of recording it's long listed for the 2018 gordon Byrne prize uh it's had loads of critical acclaim but i'm the only person you need to listen to it's fucking awesome you must read it you won't regret it you'll really enjoy it uh, I, I pause there because maybe enjoy isn't isn't the right word. Although you know he talks about people having said the novel was you know angry or dark. That wasn't necessarily the way I I saw it. I just thought it was life and he, it was humane and it was human and it was just really good. Um, so the only other things I need to say is if you enjoy this podcast and you want to support what I do and allow me to keep doing it you can do that in a number of ways you can this episode isn't sponsored it's just entirely funded by you so if you like it you can do a number of things you can buy my novel the honors which is available now in all good bookshops and of course online in some pretty disreputable bookshops as well um you can you can review my novel if you've read the honors i know most of you still haven't and are hoping to get round round to it i've done i've got my research back from my uh from doing doing my uh little survey and uh and most respondents were like i i'm going to buy your novel but i haven't yet you buy it but if you have uh then please do like leave a review on somewhere like amazon i'm not suggesting you buy it through amazon but you can leave a review that still comes up in search engines uh it make that makes a huge difference to me if you can just it takes 60 seconds just to click the right review button 
give me a star rating and write one or two sentences helps other people who are looking for it you can tell them a little bit about what it was uh, similar to really really helps and that's true of all authors that you like just you know as a nice little thing to send out some positivity in, into the world think of an author you like go on amazon for five minutes and just write reviews of all the books of theirs that you've read makes a big difference is a huge thing uh, especially with uh, newspapers having smaller and smaller budgets and uh, a lot of that coming out of the arts which isn't very clickbaity um you can also support this podcast by uh, clicking on the link um in the show notes or on my website there's a little button that says buy me a coffee if you go on my coffee page that's ko-fi.com forward slash tim clare you can drop me a few squid um a, a ridiculous number of you have been doing that now uh i'm so grateful for your generosity uh it's uh i've hardly had any time to record this podcast with trying to do various projects and and make enough to to live and pay my pay my mortgage and it's not been easy i'll be honest and it is i'm just so grateful because i know that you know life isn't easy for you either and um it makes a huge difference that you know you've been just chucking me a few quid here a few quid there it's allowed me to keep the lights on it's allowed me to pay for my website costs it's allowed me to put some money aside to cover the soundcloud uh hosting costs uh it just makes a huge difference and thank you so much you can just go there it's really a couple of clicks and you can drop me something if you like and finally you can you can share the podcast with your writing mates and you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, subscribe to us on iTunes and uh, leave a little review and a star rating on iTunes if you listen on iTunes. Again, take you 60 seconds. In the uh, world of dark mega corporate algorithms, um, we do what we can to survive. This is the terrible hustle of uh, living in the attention age attention economy and uh, who knew that the cyberpunk dystopia would be so fucking desperate anyway i'm gonna get out of your face now and uh, leave you to listen to uh, me and guy having a lovely chat uh, i think you're gonna really really like him you're gonna learn a hell of a lot about the process of writing he's just like dead honest about it he's got loads of great craft tips and if you haven't bought his novel already while I've been waffling on at you then I think by the end of this you're going to go straight online and buy it here we go okay uh so uh here we go hello and welcome to death of a thousand cuts making you an awesome writer one cut at a time my name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers and for anybody who reads or likes stories and cares about stories in the world. Now, sometimes it's just me, but today it's not just me because I'm very uh, lucky and uh, privileged to be joined by author Guy Gunnaratne, who is, um, I'm speaking, are you in, you're in Sweden at I the am. moment? Am I imagining that? No, no, no. I'm in Malmo in Sweden. Southern Sweden. It's beautiful here. How's the weather been? I only ask because, and this is such a dumb connection, but I've just been in Finland for two weeks and it was it was really hot yeah it's been insanely hot in Sweden as well yeah how was Helsinki because you were there around Trump time wasn't I, would, didn't you? I was there I was there on the day that that Trump arrived yeah fun um, fun times it was uh, like I just it just made it just made me feel 
really weird and sad and nihilistic you know I just was like walking around early morning because like it's far enough north that there's like hardly any night time so it was just like this endless day everything was hot and I was just walking around going why why is this guy getting so much I just hate that he's just soaking up so much attention I mean the good news is everything I yeah, spoke to right. just thought he was a, a, a twat and was looking forward to him being protested and hated. But it was just, it just seemed, it was just a real weird contrast with this like incredible beauty of, I've been up in the Finnish, in the North, in these amazing like Finnish midsummer that's like so moomin it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's insane. My, my wife is from Finland. She's from Helsinki. We spend quite a lot of time there. She's there now. But um, we, I've never experienced the Northern Lights or anything like that. I think I don't go that far up when I'm in Finland because it is quite nice down south. I like it because yeah, people are very chill and cool, and um, they have saunas there. And Midsummer is one of those experiences. Did you spend Midsummer with Finns because they like they like to drink during Midsummer? Is that your experience? Well, my my family have kept me away from Finland during the. T- last two years we visited they said don't come on midcut summer because they were embarrassed yeah. because they because of like the levels of drunken debauch that i was going to witness and uh, they like me seeing the trains that have got two levels on them and and that have got like a place for the children to play in a little library they don't like me seeing like fins collapsed in bushes yeah well <laughs> imagine imagine meeting your wife's friends for the very first time or your wife's male friends who male fins know this about themselves they're very very i don't know stern and they speak with a very deep deep voice and they let you know that they're no nonsense but soon as because i met my wife's friends male friends for the first time on midsummer and obviously oh my god and 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 the thing is it was midsummer so there was booze but also there was also saunas which i didn't know were fully naked so the first time i met all of her friends were when we just piled into a sauna together, all naked and uh, very drunk. And that's like the initial shock of like, okay, wow, Finns are super unemotional and don't ever, there's no small talk and it's, and it's uh, quite awkward for me to be there and, and experience this. And then during the, the rest of the evening, everyone got more and more drunk, more and more naked, and then we're all best friends by the end of the night. Uh, uh, did you find... I don't know if you had this, but like when I went into the sauna, I felt so compelled that I was not, as a non-Finn, I wasn't going to be the first person to leave. Maybe that's just my own, <laughs> yeah. but I was like, I'm not, of the heat. I don't want them to think yeah, yeah. I can't take it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The same thing I have as a Sri Lankan with Sri Lankan heritage with, with, with spicy food. I feel like I had to, yeah, I had to represent over there as well. And, and and they I, they taught me this word when I was in the because I went into one of those the Finnish smoke saunas that don't have a chimney, and so everything's covered with a layer of soot, and you have to like make yourself like a giant nappy out of blue tissue paper before you go in, and then you sit down, and they every time they threw a scoop of water onto the coals they would say, Finns please feel free to write in because I'm sure I'm pronouncing this wrong. They would go, Lelu. <laughs> which they was like I, I think they defined like translated vaguely as like the spirit of the steam but it's wow. like that feeling it's the heat and the sound and the sensation of steam rising from the uh rising from the coals and every time 
I, and I sat in there and then every now and then a Finn would just look at me and go with a slightly malevolent look I like to think and went <laughs> yeah, right. Lelu and then threw more steam on and it would like and I was breathing through my teeth and closing my eyes and my hair burnt when I put my hand on it and oh Finland eh yeah gotta love them there's so many things that I want to talk to you about because I've just finished reading actually I've, I finished reading it while I was over in Finland your novel In Our Mad and Furious City and I, I want to I'll We'll get to that in a sec, but just to lead people into it. So what's your, how did you come to telling stories? Oh, wow. Uh, Like, in very many ways, like as a kid, I was just, just a weird um, creative kid. And so I, I would, I would always be writing, but also just, you know, drawing, um, and doing all sorts of things that sort of were completely useless um for the people around me like it's not it wasn't necessary a, a, I didn't ever think okay we're one day I never had that moment of one day I'm I'm going to be a writer or um an artist or anything like that but um I remember very early on uh writing was just the simplest cheapest way I could just express myself somehow you know you need a pen and a pad and I would always be writing, but it was kind of background noise for a long, 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 long time. Um, the the real kind of spur started when I was a teenager, and I just became a film geek. Um, and then I just dreamed of becoming a, a filmmaker after that, a director. Can you remember like what one of those like early films were that you saw and just went, holy, holy shit, holy shit! Like it like took the top of your head off. Yeah, yeah, Taxi Driver, um, Martin Scorsese. I read, I watched that, I think, around 15, 16 years old. Um, and then I, I consequently just... My, the, the, the thing that I did do is just get like a... a, a, like a wasn't, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't Blockbuster. It was one of those knockoff video stores near my ends. It was like MVC or some, some kind of crap. And so I would, I would go there and just pick every Scorsese film out and just take it home and watch them. I think I own every single Scorsese film, apart from Hugo, it's a kid's film. But like, um, I watched Mean Streets and his, and his university movies and that kind of thing. Um, and just taught myself how to tell stories through film more than, um, more than anything else. What do you think it was about Taxi Driver that when you saw it, why that film and why then? That's a good question. This is so strange because it was quite a formative thing for me. But I haven't really thought about it since. But I think what it was, was it was sort of an uncompromising take on a, a specific pathology. Do you know what I mean? It's a violent, horrible person. Um, but it, it was a strange, compelling thing. This is down to De Niro more than anything else. You just feel for the guy, right? You've seen Taxi Driver, right? Yeah, and it's but it, is it that thing of like, because I when I watched Clockwork Orange for the first time, I was really confused. I thought I was reading the film wrong because I started to feel sorry for Alex, the main character, and I was like, this is fucked up. This is like the worst person in the world, and I like him. And I thought, I he's not a hero though. Why am I having these moments of going? This society that he's in is horrible as well. I'm starting to feel these weird strains of sympathy or at least like put him and and I and it made me feel really disturbed uh, 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 and then a, a while later I was like oh I think that was the point is it like like meeting a really good 
anti-hero for the first time. Probably, yeah, probably what it is what it was. But I think it was very sort of elemental. I was just, you know, a teenager. And I, you know, knowing that, you know, I, I was always quite, I don't know, quietly self-confident. And like, okay, well, one day I'll do something. Um, but seeing something portrayed like that in a way that, wow, this nothing about this should work, right? Like nothing about this should be appealing to anyone. Yet here it is, um, and it's one of the greatest films of the 20th century, and everyone knows it. And this, for a kid who's been told, like, you know, as a kid, being basically enumerate <laughs> and not being very good at anything, being told it. I mean, look, you you might be, you know, writing and doodling all the time, but, you know, this might not work. One, you know, it isn't a, it isn't a path for you. Um, being, like, you know, reminded that nothing around you or anything you're good at is going to be worth anything one day. And then seeing something that, on paper, shouldn't shouldn't work, shouldn't get funded, but is 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 made and um, is stunning. Um, I think that it was a, it was a it was a part of me that said, well, you know, I can create a thing, maybe that uh, speaks towards that. Do you know what I mean? It was it it was a kind of like wow. Well, in my slightly dickish way, he could do it. Why can't I kind of kind of thing? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's like at 15, like I remember watching Peter Jackson's Bad Taste yeah, for the first time, which is like a movie he made over four years with his mates after work on a clockwork cam, or like a wind up camera that could only shoot like nine seconds at a time. Yeah. Uh, and I remember watching the first scene of that, which is like where this like one of his mates who cannot act at all is not even slightly convincing as an actor playing this guy Barry being pursued by a kind of alien and blowing the aliens brains out um in in New Zealand I remember watching it and I I watched that film like three times in a row and it was it's kind of like you say it was like a it was like a weird it was like a it was like a permission movie yeah I was like holy shit are you allowed to tell these stories yeah, yeah. Am I allowed to go, okay, here's a story about a small town where uh, an alien uh, meat packaging company comes and kid- and take and kills all the humans because they're planning to turn uh, the earth into a... I-, I was like, holy shit, we're allowed to do this? I thought this was... It was like how I felt when I first read, um, first heard... Um, uh, Oh, oh, sorry, I'm I'm flaking on on the uh, name. Um, Michael Rosen. When I first heard Michael Rosen's hairy tales and nursery crimes, when I was much younger, and he had like a bit that just went fee fi fo fum. I smell the blood of an English bum, and I was like, <laughs> "There's no that has no merit except it's funny." And it's playing with language. I'm allowed to play with language, and if it makes another human being laugh, that's okay. And it was. T- that the word liberating gets banded around a lot, doesn't it? But it sounds like to you, you watched that film and like whole landscapes opened up to you. Yeah, essentially. Um, I had that feeling with with multiple books, which I'm sure I'll flake on now. But like that, that I remember having that 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 feeling of like, wow, that film a film is quite kind of rickety, and maybe I could do it. It, it, it. It's the similar feeling I watched. Have you seen Days and Confused by Richard Linklater? 
I, I'm I'm going to admit that I haven't seen that. It, it's, it's, it's one of those films like, yeah, that's probably just shot with him and his mates. Um, long takes because he didn't couldn't edit. Uh, so like, <laughs> it was like one of those, well, you probably could, and it was a stylistic thing, fine. But like, it was one of those things you see thinking, well, I could, my friends are hilarious. I could probably take yeah. it, you know, do you know what I mean? And do this, do this. But I knew like, because um, Tax Driver was a double disc DVD, and I consumed all the extra extra content on the, on the, on the other, other on the other CD. Um, there was interviews with Paul Schrader, the writer, and I realised, wow, how constructed Tax Driver was um, as a screenplay. And thinking, well, I, you know, I don't have a camera. I'll probably write one of those, though, you know? Um, it was sort of like a, a route in. It's like, well, I could, I could, I, I spend all my day, all my, all my time writing. I could probably write a film and then maybe I'll, I'll end up making one. Um, it was that kind of thing. I, I knew that, oh, wow, there's a, there's a, there's a construct behind all of this that, um, that became that. And that is a thing I love. Um, so let me pursue it. Cause that's, yeah. Cause that sounds like that was an extra thing as well is like that moment where, you because for a while like books and movies can feel like these comets that have just like punched out of the sky and landed and been recovered and it's quite a revelation to see oh like a bunch of people sat down and made this like brick by brick and had their lunch in between and planned it and made mistakes and then went back and worked out stuff yeah and it it, it came out of somewhere obsessive and, and weird you know it wasn't didn't seem like a joy to make Taxi Driver. <laughs> like, if you see, like, the document, like, it's a wonderful doc- um, making of Taxi Driver. And it is more, way more than a making of. It's more about craft and writing and filmmaking and going through the lives of Martin Scorsese and Paul Schrader. It came out of a deep loneliness from, from, by, from, the, from the writer himself, and he goes into it really in depth. And all the craziness that happened after Taxi Driver, there were people who were inspired to shoot... Um, a pre- uh, I think uh, a President Ford was was shot by a guy who was inspired by a Taxi Driver, and then wow. the Taxi Driver came, you know, went through the entire the whole thing where, well, you know, should censor this kind of film, all that kind of thing. And it goes into censorship and all this kind of thing. It's a wonderful making of, and I think knowing that the kind of kid I was and seeing two individuals um, make a thing because they just were compelled to do it and they had to to survive almost. Um, it was a, it, it, as a teenager, that you know, sounds terribly romantic, but also it, I think it switched something off in my head. Um, going well, maybe you know, parts of your life that aren't so great could be turned into something uh, that will make it worth it. If that makes sense. Um, not to put too much on it, but like I think that's sort of where. I think that that's why over the years Taxi Driver has always been in my head as as a as a sort of go to as a um, as a as a piece of art kind of thing, you know. And that, of course, that doesn't. I, I know you're not claiming that all happened at once. Like the 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 the, the meaning of these things, mm. it like builds and you go back to it and you build that. Not like mythology. That sounds too pretentious. But you you start to go back to it and you see how it's progressed and where that seed has kind of like what that led to and you see the like chain of dominoes don't you so even though it seems very grand so like say you know you sit down and suddenly your life changed of course it your life can like turn on on quite small choices and incidents yeah and it also almost doesn't matter if i return to taxi driver today and i might not like it as much because it meant 
so much as a 15-year-old. So one of those things you, 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 you have these sort of childhood treasures you keep. Like, I, I, I would consume television as a kid. I would never return to those shows again <laughs> since. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure, because they, they're completely dating, and, I, and, I, and I'll probably lose some kind, of, some kind of, I don't know, love for them. But back then, I thought they were the masterpieces, and it, it moved me, and it, and it, you know, made me uh, think uh, along the lines of stories, you know? And it, it, this is what you, you are right though. You build this this myth around why these these films or books are important to you, um, and the books and the films aside, uh, it's the feeling that you sort of carry on um, having that's more important almost. And and yeah, it's it's that kind of spaciousness that it opens up, and that just craziness of like going, I like human beings make these yeah i'm i'm like i'm i'm, I'm one of those yeah. F- fuck yeah oh god shit i could actually and and, and like and, and and some of these people that make these things are a twats like <laughs> and really troubled and weird and, and and you know like probably felt like me maybe as a 15 year old it's all these things coalesce um but and so like take us on a little bit from uh there because obviously like you get into uh you get into kind of like interested in film um and what 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 happened next what kind of like uh bridges what what's it, it bridges the gap between that and you starting to work on this novel oh man uh a couple of i know that is like a massive space of time i realize like the, the strange thing is like a lot of that was not writing like it, it was again as I say like writing was for me was background noise is a thing I could do and had always been doing but never did I think well yeah this is my future and be a novelist it was more I I, I want to do as much as I can and film for me was sort of strangely um the first stop I, w- I went to university did a, something in a degree in film and television and then uh, another in journalism, current affairs journalism. I became kind of like politically engaged around that time, around 16, 17, went traveling a bit and then came back and uh, suddenly real life was far more interesting to me. So documentary was more the pull. Um, and for the next couple of years, actually, from maybe the, the most of my 20s, um, because, as I say, I was basically unemployable and I just wasn't good at sort of keeping down jobs and whatnot. Um, I met this incredible woman who who uh, who um, seemed to be good at everything that I was bad at. And then together we just decided we'll make we'll we'll start a company together and like maybe tw- at 22, 23 years old um, and figured, well, yeah, I've got some editing kit. We could hire cameras and we could make little video pieces. YouTube was around then and we can probably figure out how to, you know, make video content for people and they'll pay us because we're good at it. Um, I learned editing, uh, video editing, that kind of thing. And then for the next a good five, six years, me and that woman is about now my wife, um, had this company where we're pitching stories to people like Al Jazeera News and um, uh, other news organizations and we traveled a lot and we did lots of documentaries sort of uh around human rights issues so i was you know i was a video journalist for a long time 
um, making stories in Central Africa and Guatemala and whatnot and doing stuff about media suppression and um, oppressive governments and that kind of thing. Um, and it, it was just the, the a mindset of like, well, I know how to do this. Let me tell stories that I, I, I want to tell. Um, and so we'd, we'd, we'd pitch these stories around sort of some random obsessions I would have about like um, formerly abducted child soldiers in Central Africa and, and the dynamic between them coming back home and reintroducing themselves to their communities. Like fascinating stories to me that um, hardly ever get any play and it almost didn't matter how much money we made. We, we were okay because we, you know, they paid us for the stuff. So for a good five, six years, that's what we did. And writing again, background noise, man. I would always be writing scripts for stuff and, and voiceover for the documentaries um, and short stories here and there. Um, it was only, I think, towards the end of that period of us doing document documentary work um, where she was um, uh, sort of pursuing technology um, and running a startup. And I got involved with that and doing a lot of design stuff. And it was around then because technology as an industry didn't fascinate as, fascinate me as much as sort of human rights stuff we did. And so in my spare time, I would write uh, a lot. And that sort of ended up, after a good couple of years, book-shaped, like novel-shaped, um, to the point where, okay, no, this is something I actually really want to write about. And you, you've read the book. It, there's, there's political elements in there, right? And it was, it was sort of, that's the kind of stuff that I was trying to burn through, I think, over the course of those years, where it was like, I need something else, like the, the film stuff's ended and tech doesn't interest me. Um, and I it was sort of reverting back to the 15-year-old, starting again, going, okay, well, now what do I do? No one's going to employ me. <laughs> so how do I, how do I uh, continue um, doing what I want to do? And so how the novel you... suddenly became the thing. When you're, I'm just, you know, I'm talking slightly from my ignorance here of having never made sort of like tried to create a narrative with film but like it, when you're faced with like you're traveling to different places you're researching stuff you're faced with the kind of like great like you know you're surrounded by the world and life and so many things you can point the camera at how do you it just seems over in my head that is like so overwhelming you talked about like finding these little obsessions and then how do you take like a little interest or what, what's the te can you just take me through the process of like something snagging your mind to you being able to create like a a coherent something on camera that you can get like how do you decide what the essence is, is of that and how do you capture it to show to other people um sure i mean think uh back then it was sort of like i had certain interests of mine that uh i'm sort of the type of person that would be just immersed in it. I would sort all right, so for example, um, we did a story about a journalist who was sort of in hiding because she was getting death threats because she was writing stuff against the, um, the regime in Guatemala. And I just came across her story, a few articles about it, didn't get much sort of um, coverage, but the, there's something about her and that story that really just interested me. And so what I ended up doing was, I, I guess, reading as much as I can around that subject and just immersing myself in the history and that kind of thing. History was always just interesting to me anyway as a kid. 
So it was sort of going into the details of that and just getting a texture of what that story would be like. And a texture, what I mean by that is, I don't know what it would visually look like um, in terms of telling that story. Um, and that would be around her, right? So you've got this one character, I guess. Um, and she's it's an in, it's a strange, weird thing that you get pulled, you get compelled by. She had a had a kind of bohemian, weird look. She wore like bottle cap necklaces, and I remember seeing that and thinking, oh, "That's she's an interesting thing. She's an interesting person to listen to and engage with." Um, and she's speaking about her son and being away from her son because of this thing that she's she's passionate about and she wants to tell the truth and she's a proper journalist and that's the kind of person I want to I want to tell a story about and it's just it, it, for me it's just those strange idiosyncratic elements that suddenly become more than a story but it started like with that small little picture and then the the canvas gets filled around it but then what cost- do you think it is about those idiosyncratic those like details what do you think it, what do you think it is about them that have you got any idea? Is there like what is it that makes that that suddenly br- is makes it real to you? I read. Really, I don't. I don't know. I think it. It suddenly becomes you know less an abstraction. Um, media suppression. You know what I mean? What? How do you start? Um, like any human rights issue is is impossibly complex to wrap your head around but then as soon as you 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 see a, a young woman being threatened uh by sort of government affiliated militias and you but but that that person is, looks like and acts like someone you'd probably get along really great with like it suddenly becomes uh, more than uh that sort of intellectual beginning where okay i want to you know i'm interested in journalism and 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 the freedom to write what you want. Uh, that's a difficult thing to, to write about. But as soon as you've got a single mum in hiding, uh, it becomes more real. It becomes so, it's somehow relatable. But the thing is, I, I feel like slightly disingenuous even talking about it that way. But because I, I don't really know. I think maybe that's the case. But most of the time, I follow my nose, you know? It's yeah. I mean, I wonder. I I just I I just think it's it it's funny how like you kind of it's that we kind of glom onto details. And I am I am conscious of being like slightly. Um, it sounds slightly uh, clinical to kind of talk about real human beings and say uh, and and kind of like dismantle what makes us feel empathy towards them. But I, I suppose the thing is, at the same time, it's like it seems that the. You know that it's about these are like important issues, but under those issues are like human beings living their life in real time while people have discussions about the abstract. And it just seems to me like you found ways that things that were make that were punching through the kind of noise of ideology and also the things that and politics that we care about, but feel uh, slightly um, academic. And and that we're just kind of like just putting like a harpoon into you and dragging you towards them. Yeah, man. And you know, like it's it's that thing that like like I I you know I'm not asking you to kind of go 
to you know to reduce it all to just kind of like clinical mercenary craft but it's just interesting to me that as, as soon as you start describing that bottle cap necklace you it, it's there's that there's that almost it we consume so much news that there's like a real shock when you remember that people are human being when you rem- when you're just reminded you or you get that slap to the face that pe- other people are as real as you yeah and i think i'm very guilty of not experiencing that on a day-to-day basis you get so numb to well how are you supposed to you know like these these things drown you um and it's 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 one of those things i've always felt conscious about especially because i you know i got even this stuff like i got politically engaged through documentaries not because i was watching the news or you know did a degree in it or read textbooks on human rights and all that kind of thing it was more like holy shit real life is as dramatic and real and awful and beautiful as as anything i read or have seen in in at the at the cinema you know like suddenly it it, beca- it became that's that was my way of punching through initially so everything since that has always been sort of in the mode of trying to find those little bits and pieces that make you make you feel a thing, whether that be a repulsion or a, or a, a compulsion, um, those are the things that matter to me. Like it would be very difficult for me to to, to tell any story, um, no matter how worthy the subject or whatever, that didn't have like that element of like I don't know um, that disruptive element that makes you double take almost and go, oh shit, oh, yeah, that's a real person, man. That's they've got, they're like me, you know. And it sounds, it sounds, it may, it sort of sounds so bad to kind of like be surprised. Yeah. That, but <laughs> it, I, I, but it's, it's a constant, and it, it's a constant process of kind of, of re waking up. Uh, certainly for me, at least, of just going, of just of so much of the world being this kind of slightly abstract construct to me and then going fuck okay someone you know even something like in history you know like seeing something written in in someone's handwriting yeah right and go, oh shit like at one point this was present tense this was being written but the thing is right like the, when i when i say all this stuff you know what you said about like making it seem clinical and and talking about the craft like when i say i was interested in this stuff and uh, wanted to tell stories like that. I was never kind of. I would never class myself as some kind of activist, or like, thought about it because I was some kind of. I was into social justice or anything. They were just really interesting stories, man. You know what I mean? They were like, they were really. They made me feel something, and it was. It was. Um, that's really all I cared about, honestly. It was like telling that story properly and with all the, you know, because it was a documentary and I was, I, you know, learned how to be a journalist. It was, it was, I knew how to do it in that sense, but like, I wasn't really trying to, <laughs> you know, you know what they say, you know, give voice to voice or whatever. Like, I think it wasn't, that wasn't the reason. It was more like, this is a really, I, I would have fun. I would have, I would get a lot out of telling those types of stories. Not because I, I particularly thought they'd make much of an impact, but just 
alone in a room telling those kind of stories, they would fascinate me endlessly. Um, and it, it's, it's a strange, selfish thing to even say that. But like, why the hell would you... Why, how, I mean, how much time do I have in my life that I could spend years writing a book? That, that The thing I, I'm writing about needs to needs to set something off inside me rather than, you know, uh, any wish to impact the world in any way. You know what I mean? So it is kind of clinical. Um, it's, well, it's this that you've got no you've got no control over the instrumental effect of what you produce. Right. You can't f- force something to take. But sometimes I, I feel like if I've wanted to tell a story, it's because there's something, there's some kind of jagged edge in it or some unconnected part that I feel like the only way I'm just, it, it, I need to understand it. And I feel like the only way I can understand it is to try and get inside it and tell it back. That's exactly it. Yeah. You'd have no idea how you feel about a thing until you're right through it. And I don't think people can choose really what they're compelled by. I've always thought that. I've always thought like you don't get to choose what you're moved to write about. Because like um, people, after my wife read this book, for example, um, my novel, she was kind of worried about me, like a little bit. She was like, you're right, it's quite, it's quite dark, <laughs> you know? And a lot of my friends were like, mate, like, are you okay? Um, and I'm a quite a chill, happy person. You know what I mean? But like, as like, I am just, that's the kind of thing I'm compelled by. I don't really get to choose. If I had a choice as whether to spend my time thinking about extremism and violence to write a book, probably wouldn't. But like, I I think like, that's just the the thing I'm, I'm drawn towards. I don't think you can get to do that. Same reason I was drawn towards Tax Driver. It was a really fucked up character that was just fascinating to me. But I don't get to choose why I, I wasn't repelled by it. There's plenty of other people who were repelled by a Travis Bickle or the characters in this book. But I wasn't. It's, it's, it, would, it would consume me. So can we... Uh, uh, that's a, a, a masterful segue into uh, talking about In Our Madden Furious City, which I like. I'm going to sort of step away from saying how I felt about it too much just because one it sounds sounds like i'm patronizingly explaining your novel back to you and you know better than anyone but but two also because i'll be incredibly i'm just going to get like the obsequiousness out the way i like reading it i it was it did so many things to my head and heart that i don't it's my it's my favorite novel that i've read this year i really really blew my mind and i i was in London when I read like the first half of it and just kind of wandering around between sort of like meeting different people and it had like this hallucinatory quality where I felt like I was seeing the city for the first time and seeing through it in ways that I I needed to I needed to go and like have a five guys and <laughs> and then recover like it was um in a good way um but I was wondering if uh like the listeners could you just give us a, like a flavor of of what it's about i'm saying that just because i know if if i start summarizing it to you i'll inevitably start putting my own spin on it and i just mean to you like what is this you know what's the what's the novel about that would be interesting to me though but like okay fine I- 
Yeah, I mean, I can do it later, but I just I'll, I'll let you do that untainted before I, I come wading in. Sure. No, thanks, man. Uh, so, um, in a mad and furious city is uh, it's set in around a, a, a housing estate in Neesden, which is uh, the place I grew up, like in Neesden. Um, and the events in the book sort of are sparked by an incident that is kind of unlike, uh, it's like the uh, killing of Lee Rigby a couple of years ago. I don't know if the, the listeners remember this, but it, it was, it, I think it was uh, very much the, the spark behind the book initially. Um, uh, a, a young British soldier is, is killed um, by an Islamic extremist and the book follows five characters who live around the estate who have to deal with the consequences of that sort of proximity to violence but also um, it explores themes around extremism and again it's what we've been talking about these big words that I guess are difficult to really understand um, the five characters have to sort of deal with their own little mi- uh, micro-extremisms, I guess. Um, the parts of themselves that can be unkind, or um, uh, are the parts of themselves that are difficult to confront. Um, each character is, is, is written in, in different vernaculars. So there's three young men in around London who, uh, their characters are, are written in... Uh, um, I guess, London road dialect, or, or street slang, I suppose. Um, uh, Carolyn character, Carolyn's character, two, there's two older characters in there, so Nelson and, and Carolyn also speak to extremisms. Um, Carolyn speaks to her experience in Belfast uh, during the IRA troubles. And Nelson, an older Caribbean character, talks about his experience coming to London as a new immigrant, um, experiencing the Nottingham race riots. Um, so I guess the, the book really does explore um, the themes. I guess they're all on everyone's mind at the minute, but hopefully with a with a with a little bit of hope at the end. But um, it's a book I hope would be confrontational in a way um, that brings things like extremism, violence, to make them uh, somewhat understandable and relatable. Uh, strangely enough. So it's, that's my hokey way of explaining it. It's got like, you, you've got these five voices in the story or five like chief voices who are telling uh, their stories. Uh, Selvon, uh, Arden, Yusuf, and uh, as you were saying, Carolyn and uh, Nelson. And I, I just wanted to kind of ask how you uh, found and developed and became comfortable in those uh five voices because they all feel they've all got crossover points but they all feel very distinct from one another which i think is like an incredibly difficult thing to do when you've got like five voices i'll tell you what this is like this is and i said i wasn't going to keep going on but like one of the things that i think is amazing about this novel is you manage to have five characters uh none of which there's not like oh this one is the the one that you're excelling in oh, here comes the boring one, but we're, but I'm compelled to keep going on. Like, actually, I don't feel like there's any point where we have, like, a favourite that is... I mean, I've you know, I've got ones that are particularly connected with, but they all feel 
equally interesting for different reasons. And I think that's an incredibly hard thing to pull off because people inevitably are going to start comparing them. I just wondered, how did you sort of find and get into the lives and the skins of these characters to be able to sort of speak with their voices? Well, um, so the th- so there's... Yeah, so five characters. Three of them um, are written in that road dialect, but that's that's the dialect I grew up with, right? So that's that's like I went to a pretty shitty state school, so that's that, that's the world I, I lived in. So that was quite in a uh, 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 that's the closest I suppose experience to to my own. Um, but but were... I'd say, but even then, I like are they all, but they all have distinct voices within that though, and I I don't they they like they don't. Uh, Selvan and uh, Yusuf do, don't yeah, yeah, yeah. don't They're sound different. They, they don't well, speak that, the same at all. See, that's um, the most interesting thing to me because that's that's what made me want to finish the book almost because it was that's the fun bit. That's the um, that's the part of it that kind of made me want to get up in the morning, which is how to render that dialect onto the page with these characters in a way that was wholly my own you know what i mean like i didn't really care if this if if they were almost authentic or not it was it need to make sense make sense within the weird internal logic to, logic of the book if that makes sense like language yeah. to me is what fascinates me anyway so even putting road dialect next to a northern irish dialect and a, and a western patois like for me there's a whole game I'm playing that no one else cares about <laughs> that 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 happened be- between those dialects and and how that's essentially what London is. It's like this clash and mulch of different languages and uh, influences, and that 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 was kind of what I was doing the entire time. Like if I was bored with the plot, that's the kind of thing I'd be I'd be more into. Um, but like I, to to answer the question more directly, like I suppose. Uh, it was always going to be multiple voices. Carolyn and Nelson turned up pretty much halfway. Like the there was a scene with one of the younger characters, Selvan, who returns to his home and washes his father's feet. I don't believe. I just I've got the book open to that page. <laughs> I don't believe you say that's amazing. I was going to ask you about that because like that scene made me cry. That's that that's the scene that. Um, that's what made me write Nelson because I felt as if because that that scene happened before Nelson was was uh, a thought. It was Selvin himself has has a need to connect and understand um, his father, right? Like there's there's something there, and I felt as if yeah, I would like to to know who this person is as well, and then you know. Nelson's Nelson turned up that way and his story um was also really interesting to me it's also probably the most difficult one I I wrote Carolyn's too like his her her voice just became insistent uh and seemed like needed to be heard like I've always I've always understood this book is more the, the process of writing it was more was felt more like listening more than anything else like even the making sure the dialect is right is more or less listening really hard to make sure that the voices came through properly. Carolyn specifically, because I needed, really needed just complete silence to make sure that I got her voice down um, and right. And it was the same with the others. Like it felt more like these voices exist whether I am or not. 
I just need to make sure that I get them down properly. It was it in that way. It felt less constructed. It was more like, all right, let me make sure I get the essence right. Um, if that makes sense. Um, so in that strange way, like the, at the end of the book, like I mean, the the the, the finished article, it 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 gives as much time to Carolyn and Nelson um, as much as the other boys, but um, at the very beginning, the the initial spark was the the the, the young voices. Um, but to me, like Karen and Nelson are, are on equal. I love them all the same. Yeah, I, I, I think I think they provide um, in in fantasy fantasy novelists have got this this wonderful uh, term for when like a character finds like an artifact or when you hear something from the past. They like they call it like a time abyss where there's this thing where you go, oh shit, this has been going on a lot longer than these protagonists this is there's more to this than just this story we're following in the narrative present now there's history to this there's been battles before there's been this isn't you know this this isn't Gollum's first rodeo you know like this is like there, there's been battles before there have been uh you know there have been uh defeats and fruitless victories uh and 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 and, and, and I feel like uh that's what Nelson and Caroline bring to this not kind of like there's nothing new under the sun but like the situations that uh Selvon and Arden and Yusef find themselves in have not come out of nothing they are they have there's a they, there's all these interdependent stories that have um that have built them and that they've grown out of yeah like it was um so one of those things I mean you start off as I say, like the, the initial spark was the Lee Rigby killing, because one of the things that compelled me at the beginning was, um, I don't know if you remember the, that incident, that terrorist attack, but like two young men followed this um, soldier in Woolwich and killed him in, in, on the street, like in Woolwich. Like, uh, first of all, that the image of like any old London road where something like that could happen really just spun me out to the point where um it it was one of those things i i was i immersed myself in like the the story of the the of lee rigby but also the killers themselves and there's something about one of the killers specifically a guy called michael adablajo who was the the young black guy that that was in the video there was a video that kind of you know went everywhere afterwards because some brave woman walked up to, to the killers just after um, they did what they did and asked them to sort of justify why they did it and sort of give their motives. Um, and the young guy, Michael Adelard, just went in, went on talking about why they did it. Um, and he was holding like his bloody knife and it was a horrific video. Um, but what shocked me and disturbed me most of all was the fact that he spoke in road dialect and he wore a tracksuit and he looked like a kid that I went to school with. Um, and suddenly terrorism and like extremism felt far too close to comfort. So one of the things I think that's happened is uh, because that stuff was just in my head as I, I started um, writing, um, it was it started off strange as, as, as an emotive, but also an intellectual pursuit to try to understand extremism and violence. But most of the time that stuff kind of dissolves away and... 
you can probably think of it like, okay, well, that's sort of the canvas that you're writing within. You know at the back of your mind, your subconscious is sort of tossing this idea around. Um, but as you're writing each character, you kind of just have to switch that off and trust that the theme turns up at certain points. So you just write towards the voice and the character. But then at some point, the voice and the character will just throw up this thing that links directly to the wider theme that probably wasn't intentional. And I, I've had multiple moments like that writing this book where uh, the character would say a thing or would act in a certain way that at first wasn't totally obvious to me, that why did he lead me down this road? But I realise how important that is to the, the wider theme of extremism. I think part of that search was trying to figure out how I personally feel about um, what makes a young man like Michael Alablajo, who grew up in London, like me, um, grew up a Christian. He converted it to, to Islam. And it's one of those things that, you know, I try to figure out why I'm disturbed by that. Um, and I think each character, when I started writing it, was trying to do the same thing. And at some point, you kind of clock on that, yeah, this is this is old news, man. Like, this stuff is a spiral and a historic cycle that just happens that way. There's a line in the book that talks about history in a way that speaks to this. It, um, I think the line is, um, history is not a circle, but a spiral of violent rhymes. And if you think of history as a spiral, not so much a circle, that makes more sense to me. Because history doesn't, doesn't actually repeat. Nazis aren't going to walk down the street. Like, they're not coming back. But people who have the same ideologies do. Like, if you're going to wait around for history to repeat, you're, you're not going to be successful. Like, the, 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 the version of um, bigotry that Nelson, for example, encounters in the 50s in London is not the same bigotry that one of the younger characters, Arden, encounters in London in 2016 or whatever. Um, but they rhyme. Do you know what I mean? And it, that, that, for me, that I think that kind of... I, I clocked on to that point when Carolyn and Nelson turns up. Um, it's, it, it was one of those wonderful moments where, oh, I guess this, there's a point to all of this. There's a point to all this toil. Because if I keep <laughs> writing something will turn up to make it make sense. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where, God, I thank God something is working because there are days when I don't know where I'm going, but then something kind of clicks in and that this, is, this was one of those moments. So there's so much I, I want to sort of just underline or underscore or just go into a bit more de in depth in that. But like the, the first thing I'll do is actually just jump onto that last point. So you had days where... Did you have days where you weren't sure about whether this was going to work? And if so, how did you how did you get through them? Because I've really struggled with like procrastination and I'm an extremely anxious guy anyway. But um, that's the kind of most common thing I get people writing to me about is just hitting those kind of pits of like, what is the fucking point? And And when you were hitting those moments, what was it that kept you going even as you kind of thought well maybe this isn't going to work word count man that's really awesome. <laughs> at the beginning at the beginning um because it was my first book i the the initial part and i think i'll probably keep doing this for the next couple of books because i i feel as if that's 
a frustrating process, but it's worth it. The first draft is usually just a sprawl. It's just a, the garbage. It's sort of like writing into the abyss and seeing what happens. And it's purely about word count. I want to get the word count up. That's all I want to do. If I, if I, so at the beginning it was like 500 words. I wake up super early, um, write out 500 words of something, have a vague understanding as, as to where this is going. Um, but not really understanding how these things congeal and, and connect to each other, especially with these other voices. Um, and it doesn't actually, at the beginning, it doesn't matter if the 500 words are terrible or not. Because at some point I'll keep writing 500 words and some 500 words will be worth me continuing. It's, it was one of those slowly, slowly, yeah, today was not a good day. Tomorrow might be. It's like sticking around until something comes along. Um, it's one of those feelings of like, I've got, I, I have to be worthy of this toil somehow. You know what I mean? Like at some point, something is going to come up because I keep turning up and I feel as if, if I keep turning up, something will turn up <laughs> and then make, and make it worthwhile. And I, I, I kept, I kept, um, I've kept feeling that way long enough to know that I think there's some truth there. And that 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 initial draft of garbage is worth it because that's just a, a big lump of clay almost, and it doesn't matter if things don't work and fit together. It's clay because the second draft and the third draft is where it becomes uh, more cohesive, more book shaped, and makes makes sense. Um, but the first draft is is incredibly freeing it is frustrating because you you have i think more i don't know if you're the same i don't know if you plot out or grid stuff before you start but i don't do any of that i kind of just go in blind almost and i know what that theme is and what i'm interested in and what that obsession is and what i want to that i want to burn through um but the first time yeah i'm gonna expect a bunch of frustration and a bunch of dead ends and doubling back at myself because and, re and repeating things because i know i'm trying to work something out and that's just gonna have a lot of exhaust, and it's gonna gonna it's gonna be shit. <laughs> but I know it's it's good work out, man. It's good clay because I know that, that at some point, thirty thousand words, forty thousand words, it will start to to feel like I've got a handle on something. It's like it's like trying to figure out your opinion on something. It's not gonna happen overnight. So I know it's gonna be a struggle, but that's kind of the point. Um, but it is it is around 30 to 40,000 words. There's some kind of, I don't know whether it's just like your brain, the kind of, I don't know whether it's just like we're abusing the kind of software in our brain that allows us to imagine people who we know who aren't there and you go, oh, will, oh, will, will, does my uncle like, uh, mutton pies and you imagine a little version of him biting into one and you see him smiling and you go oh yeah he does yeah and you just abuse that software and you once you get to 30 to 40,000 words you've imagined these characters so much that you can now use that imaginative software that you can use for real people to just imagine the reactions of these completely fake ones and it works just as good and now you're like okay cool what are you going to say and you can because you talking about it like you know, variously, you, you're the process of writing this book. You're you're variously sounding like a, a kind of bird watcher and a trance medium. You know, like these people that sometimes you're just like sticking around, going, "Well, the fish are going to bite eventually, and if not, I'm they're not going to bite at all if I don't have have my rod in the water." But then there's other points where it's like, 
they're speaking through you and they grew in they grow in power the more you like let that channel work and i know i i'm using this very consciously as metaphors rather than kind of like pretentious things but the one thing i want to say is like this but there's clearly some bits with like personal history and stuff how much research did you have to do for this uh again at the beginning very little because it was more like oh let me just kick the bucket down the road and see what happens it was more like okay i'll i'll, I'll get there and also it's it, history is something i'm interested in I've, I've you know i've read i read things for fun like stuff like um the history of the Notting hill race riots and that kind of thing and, and the troubles have always been interests of mine and i think that's just naturally why that kind of came from also but on that thing about that trance-like stuff, it's a strange thing, because I never really hung out with writers before this year. I barely knew anyone in the industry, anything, anything like that. I have zero connection to anything. <laughs> it was more like very a very, very private thing for me to, to write the book. And I realise now, since I've, you know, made a couple of mates um, who are writers, and I've had these discussions before, I realise how different um people are in terms of how they get around things like this how they write and their process are so different i can't i wish i could start by plotting everything and and gridding up like an entire plan and a spreadsheet um in terms of like where things are going i have a compulsion to one day do that i i it, i know it worked the first time i know it was worth all the struggle and the, the frustration um for me to know that it made sense. I also think um, it's one of those strange things to say that when I say yeah, the the book was more felt more like listening than anything, any any right any uh, I don't know. Uh, it was more like listening than than writing anything or constructing anything. But I, I'm really particularly thinking about that first draft of just yeah, kind of feels like channeling, and I know that sounds weird now because i've heard other people go well that's a crock of shit because we're writers and we're you know we, we make things um that may be true but i can't deny that it did feel that way and i know that's a weird thing to say and i know that sounds like i hear voices in my head but fuck it there were voices in my head that that really did come through in this with this book like i, I can't not say that because i feel as if that is that does it does feel like that on some days the second and third draft I could figure out how to use those to make a story because that first draft is garbage. And I don't think you can ever write a book completely like that. Maybe if you're Kerouac or some shit, but I don't think most people can do that. I think it's, it, um, it's the second and third draft is where you're actually a writer and you're not just writing stuff that pops into your head. I don't think that's what writing is. The second and third draft is where things get together um, and make more sense and your your ability kind of shows you know what I mean yeah I think it's I don't know like I, I definitely writing uh novels like I, I think different types of story sometimes de like demand different processes and that's where like when I've spoken to people who've like hit like a third or fourth novel and they suddenly go oh, I can't I can't write and then they find that that's the one that that wanted a plot, like a plot grid, you know, that they hadn't, and and that they'd imagined that that just wasn't their way of working, but actually what they did is is, is come about um, ways of working that suited the stories that they want 
expected to tell up until they make that that leap you know there's some stories that you know like it's it's very difficult to write by the seat of your pants a uh a a sort of tightly woven murder mystery uh where you have the person die at the beginning and you have no fucking idea how that happened you know like you need to work out how to plant those seeds i'm sure and i'm sure you know there are people who write detective mysteries like guessing their way through the first draft and then go back in and plant those things to make it retrospectively make sense and they're discovering it for the first time as they go go through the first draft but i think it's i I know exactly what you mean and it's because kind of most of us start this thing completely like alone in a kind of like kind of feeding shamefully like some kind of weird werewolves or something and 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 kind of and you do kind of work it out on your own and and it's like you're kind of like building the plane as you kind of like taxi towards the edge of the cliff just going it doesn't matter as long as like I don't like hit the ground whatever works works and it's only later when you have the luxury of like going actually and and stuff it just seems it just seems i know and it's that thing you want to get the story out and you want to meet the characters that's what compels you a lot of the metacognition the the thinking about writing and how can i optimize the writing experience is is just is kind of beside the point and 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 there's always another story to get down and and so i you know i definitely just I, i i i i cobble together something as i go along and then justify it later as my method but i i'm just i'm i'm just fucking winging it i don't know i don't like but then that is exactly the reason right why this feels like all your characters and the reason that this story feels so like interesting and the reason it's like alive is because things you've given your character space to talk to you and that means that at times they surprised you and for that reason no one reading this in fact there's some fucking there's some love there's some lovely bits actually where you see where the story seems to telegraph one thing that's going to happen i don't want to you know include any spoilers and then events go out another way but we get that kind of building of dread in our gut that certain things are going to happen and then other things happen um but i think there's you know but you we all know people we all hang around in the world with humans, right? So that's the bottom line is like if you're connecting with your experience of being a human in the world and an end user of stories, which everyone is, you're always going to... People have got so much abstracted knowledge that they just have no fucking clue they've got about stories and how to tell them. I genuinely believe that, that we can all tell a reasonably different, decent story if we can work out how to access it. Yeah, I think I think that's... That's so true, though, Cause especially with this, because it, it's first like look like all these all the voices are first person vernacular, right? And I wrote each of them all the way through, so I'd write Nelson from beginning to end, because the the book itself is spliced in between. You know, you go from Nelson to Arden and then Carolyn to Nelson, but actually, in the writing was like one voice at a time, so it made sense in a way, I think, to just. Um, get to know the character before then splicing them together. I sort of knew how to how each bits connect, but it was more important to just, yeah, figure out, okay, well, this feels right in terms of how to write this book. Might not be true for the next book, but feels right this way. And you are right, like, I feel like... 
this is a strange thing. You wouldn't know this more than me, but like there is a weird lunacy with writers explaining things, or any artist explaining the thing they make. No, like it's a strict. Like it, I, I found I find these conversations between myself and other writers to be so illuminating, fascinating, because we don't know how to articulate <laughs> what happens. <laughs> You know what I mean, and so so. If we, and also, and it sounds like you're being self. It sounds like you're being kind of like slightly like evasive and mystic. If you just go, I I I actually don't know. Like it it sounds like you're kind of like rolling the ladder up and going, ah, uh, you don't get to. This is secret stuff. But but it's but then you start because then I've had like um stuff like events and stuff with other writers, and you do you want to be as helpful as possible and go okay look. There, there are certain things I did with this and you know, this technical aspect of that kind of thing. But when you talk to someone who's just starting out and like just wants to write a thing, you kind of, I feel compelled to just say, just fucking write. Just keep, just go there. Just go and be brave and just kind of go to places where you might feel weird and uncomfortable and might not think this will ever fucking sell and that kind of thing. Just ignore all of that shit and just, just um, figure out your own way of telling the story um and yeah it might sound super inaccessible the way you talk about it but i know now talking to other writers because i know half the stuff the, the way they talk about it it's in loops and in it's in sort of weird like i'm doing now it's like a strange cognition play where I'm just going, okay, well, that's not exactly what I mean. Let me try again. It's not exactly what I mean, though. Let me try again. No, this, <laughs> is, this is disingenuous. I don't know if I believe this as I say it, but here you go. I'll try again. This is a weird thing. Do you find that? You, you've well, talked to other writers. I, I, I guess like having like recorded like over 100 episodes of, of the podcast now, I've definitely um, formalized like my my stuff I say. Right. So I've got I've got like a bunch of just like little dot exe files about different like elements of writing craft that I can just click and it just unpack in my head and I'll just be running the show don't tell riff or the uh this is how you do dialogue riff, right? And so there's a certain element of it that I've automated so I don't have to feel that discomfort of going, what do I actually believe? What's my experience? And I had a weird thing of like teaching a a writing retreat for like a week down in Devon um, last month where I just spent the whole week being like Mr. Writing Expert going, this is how you do it. And having that authority sort of boosted by their, me being in an official position as a tutor and it got to like the last night and like I got to say my like final thought and I just suddenly thought and I just went into a fugue state and I said a bunch of stuff that like by the time I finished everyone was staring at me and um and I think but mainly it was like the first time I felt like I'd actually connected into honesty where I was like going to be to be honest guys like I I've been saying a lot of this because I want you to like me like this and is so thank, like this is this is so true like this, i'm going through this thing now where it's like it's like after the book's out and you know to do a bunch of stuff it's gone really well and the publisher's really happy with it with everything um but i realized i don't know how helpful i could ever be with interviews and anything like that like i can't i don't particularly enjoy i don't know if you, you feel this like i don't particularly 
enjoy like doing the whole stage stuff, like interviews in front of crowds and that kind of thing. I'm all right with crowds and whatnot. Like, you know, I could have a chat with people, but uh, there's something strangely performative about all of this, um, which feels slightly like a, a pantomime, which we all know um, is a difficult thing to, to reconcile, especially when you try and go home and write something real. Um, like, for example, I don't tend to read reviews, anything like that, because I'm, 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 I'm super conscious that I don't need other voices. I don't, I don't, I, 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 I shouldn't have that around when I'm, when I'm thinking about having to write voice. Like, you've read this book, and there's certain parts of that book that was incredibly embarrassing for me to write. And, like, I get tense every time I think about other people reading. You know what I mean? And how can I possibly can, do that Can again? I ask what those bits... Are there particular bits? Yeah, that... there, there would be, like, the, the scene with Nelson and Missy at the end of the book. Um, and, you know, Ryan Irfan's story in the middle... Um, certain things that, you know, you, those are the things that would surprise you and you're like, fuck, are you really going to make me write that, <laughs> you know, and go there. Yeah. And and, it, it, and um, what I'm trying to say is, like, the first time I wrote this book, I had no audience or any expectation of being published. So I can go to places where I felt disturbed and weird and creeped out um, and uncomfortable Um because I did, there was zero expectation or, or anything like that. So I'm very conscious that I'm trying to recreate that feeling of like um, naivety, and because it gives you the freedom to write what you want and and go to places where you where you uh, may feel uncomfortable, especially if you're writing in in, in the mode of like a politically engaged charged narrative like this is or my next book is like it 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 sort of necessitates that that uh feeling of like i you know or resistance almost to to talking about it in a way that's completely explorative and just you know okay here's everything and here's who i am um and then feeling as if oh how can i possibly be a private person again and go back home and actually write with any sort of freedom it's a it's a weird weird thing and i know we're way off track but like I felt this, I think you're much more evolved on when you're thinking on this than I was like with my second novel. I was in the middle of writing my second novel when the first one came out. I got the reviews and I just like locked up. I locked up because I suddenly was imagining this huge audience that I was going to disapp disappoint in my head. That I was going to, every risk suddenly became something that was going to let people down. And that ability to just go... <laughs> You know, and it sounds it sounds ungrateful, but to basically just go like, fuck you guys, this isn't for you, um, and get on with it, is the only way that you can enjoy writing and the only way that you can, like, do the digging that gets to the, to the good shit. I really believe that. And I feel like I've had to unlearn a lot of the stuff about... I thought in my head that what would happen was I would... Publishing would get, get, give me a feeling of legitimacy then that feeling of authority would then take away any creative anxiety I had because now I was like the uh, 
the master craftsman sitting down to work and the storyteller and the words flow from me. Once upon a time, blah, 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 blah. And I felt like a fucking weird fraud. And I knew because that wasn't it. Because some days you come right and you start writing and you do your 500 words and you go, oh, no. Oh, that's actually that's just like a bad. I've, I've done a bit of crypto plagiarism of something I saw on the TV two weeks ago. Oh, yeah, shit. That's already been done. And if you are imagining an audience, if you are going straight to the evaluation stage... It's goddamn paralysing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, man. Like it, it, but this is, I feel as if I, I probably got that advice sometime early last year. Um, and I just, I, I just, I don't know. Like, I feel as if good reviews or anything nice being said is probably worse than the bad stuff. 100%. You know what I mean? Like, what, like... It's already, and I've told my editor this, it's already a problem that she's in my head now. Already that's like, I know that's slightly limiting. Because I would write a thing and I would know that she'd, because it was a two book thing. So I know that this is my editor for the next book. So I know that she's going to read it. Before that, I had zero audience in mind. And I think that's a wonderful, brilliant, liberating thing. Um, it's like, I feel as if they might be in need for a new contract. It's like, look, I'm going to go away and write and not think of you at all. And you're going to be have to be okay with it. And I'm going to write this thing and I'm going to come out and go, okay, here, here's another book. And it might not be the thing you're expecting. And it might not be the thing that... There might not be... It might not have the, the thing that you liked about the first book. But at least you know that I went away and actually did the work and didn't think about trying to do the same thing or wasn't really worried about your opinion i would appreciate that as a reader you know what i mean like i would appreciate not i'd appreciate my opinion not being part of the, the process of you writing a book if i was you know if i like to write and i wanted to read that thing yeah i i i definitely i definitely think it's just you just don't want to end up writing bad fan fiction of yourself right. you know you, you, can, you can find it you're just doing you're you're doing a kind of you end up writing a pastiche of what you think that thing you just did was. Yeah, and, it, and it's a strange that I'm brutally... I feel as if my, my both my publicist and my editor are, like, constantly annoyed by my lack of enthusiasm for events and whatnot. And when wonderful things happen, I'm like, that's cool, let me go back to writing now. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know. And also, I don't really have a bearing of what matters on what doesn't, because, I, again, I don't have any sense of what the industry was like before going in. So I don't really know what was a big deal or not. So I'm like constantly nonplussed by like how amazing things are. <laughs> but I feel as if that's a good thing. I feel like I, as, as much as I can border myself off from any of that stuff, um, uh, it's all to the good, which is also, it also affects stuff I would want to do. Like when you messaged me and, and, and chatted, I was like, oh, cool, he's a writer. Let me talk about writing with him because that's just... That's just two guys having a chat rather than like, you know, a whole thing with photographers and whatnot. It makes sense to me. I don't know, man. Well, again, tangent, but I've, you know, it, I think it might be also important to just say that, that sometimes all this other stuff that happens after your publishing, um, you don't have to embrace it as much as possible because sometimes it might be detracting from the thing you're supposed to be doing. And it doesn't make you aloof to not want to do that. It's not like I'm above this. I'm no, an artist. Like, it's I'm just, just like, like yeah, exactly. it's not what I got into this for. I like if you if you can't 
gain some smidgen of pleasure out of being sat in a room the size of a service elevator alone typing one word and then another word and then have a think and then another word like that is the majority of writing if you're in it for like being clapped by a load of middle class people in a in a in a tent some a literary festival that those opportunities are going to be actually quite few and far between yeah i had had a chat with this guy um uh who sort of like he does a bunch like comedian writer and and whatnot and he spoke about how when he was younger he was also a rapper so when he was younger he was like i want as much torment in my life as possible because that's where the good stuff is (laughs) because that'll inspire me to write then i realized actually when I have my kid and my wife at home and I'm calm and things around me are, are you know, agreeable, um, it means all that, all that craziness gets through and is focused towards, to where, towards where it's supposed to be, which is the page. Like, part of the thing of, of not loving uh, going out touring and stuff is because, you know, I'm away from my wife and stuff. My cats, man. So I kind of want to kind of come home and... and yeah, how, take all the enjoyment out of the thing I'm supposed to be doing, which is writing a book. God, it feels good to say this out loud, Tim. It's good. <laughs> it's good stuff. The, the final thing I want to ask you about, because I couldn't like let it slide, and you've given me a nice little uh, way in there by mentioning a, a rapper. Like you've, you have. Um, it's oh, always like a. Uh, it's like a creative risk to have a character do stand up in a book or to have a character be a poet or a writer and include some of their work and Arden like gets to gets into a a, like a freestyle rap battle on the bus and you include you give us access to what he's actually saying rather than just assuring us that he kills it um can you just talk like was this like is this like another I, I you know I I'm not I'm not saying that you necessarily this is like a you you do you do you do you write that's what I'm uh, you know this is what I'm getting at is like was this like a way of you do you battle I am so embarrassed by the fact that that is in there and I know it's whack cuz like, here, here's a weird thing like Everyone, so when I went to the publisher um, and they spoke about that, that scene being one of their favourites and that kind of thing, and they were like, oh, yeah, you must rap. I'm like, you don't know how bad those verses are, though. Because I know you're not a rap fan. Like, that's what, that's, that's what happens in my head. Like, I know you don't know no, what but, good raps are. Yeah, but surely, like, yeah, but, like, the whole point is they're off the dome, right? Like, you couldn't just, like, look, preload him with, like, a load of stuff and go, well, I'm going to, like, freeze time and spend, like, four days. The idea is he is coming up with those yeah, it, it, in the moment while bricking it. Like, that's the difference. And when he goes into the, basically, when he go, you know, later on, there's some bits where we don't get to see what he did, like, in the booth. But, like, which is fair enough, because those might be... Those might not be freeze. Those might be written's, right? But like, I felt like you know to just give him and you it, it, your dues. Like the idea isn't that he's like going, all right. These are my like bars that I've been working on for ages. Like he's have he's having he's referencing stuff and he's he's re- reacting in the moment. And like you know what it's like like seeing people freestyle. Like the standard is not 
that it's like it's like improv comedy they're not as good as an improv comedy scene is not as good as a scripted uh a scripted sketch but that's not the point the point is that people are coming up with this in the moment and that's why like i felt like i i felt like i didn't i didn't read it going oh for oh fuck off i felt like it was actually very well pitched being something that he could legitimately have come out with um and you weren't just like loading it going right i'm gonna because otherwise it becomes like a little bit of a, a power fantasy, right? If you go, right, I'm going to freeze time and then I'm going to come out with like my bars. If I could like... it's Yeah, it's strange because I've listened to the audiobook, which is Ben Bailey Smith, like Doc Brown. Um, if you, you know, Doc Brown, like the comedian, also yeah, rapper. He of did course. The, so he did the audiobook and he... So when I listened to him do that battle... He made it sound incredible. Because <laughs> yeah, he, he could the, sell the lines, He knows right? what he's doing. But I know, because he also had to do a thing halfway through to, I think, I haven't asked him this, but I think fix, <laughs> like, a bad flow. But he made it sound amazing. So I was like, okay, no, it, it's, it's it, you know, it, it, it works out. But it's one of those things where, like, it did feel... I don't know, like Arden's thing with this, um, Arden's thing is he lets out his anger and passion and sort of humiliation and rage through that. So through those, through, through his bars. So for me, it, it needed to be like this explosion, right? It has to come out in a way that pulls in all the threads that up to that point he's dealing with and that's really all that mattered to me just as just writing it because it may, it needs to make sense it needs to have a thing um because if it, like one of those things that did come up that again when i mentioned that um you, you sort of stop thinking about the theme and then you write to the towards the voice and then it will come up with things that link to the theme for example the idea of extremisms and people having their own versions of um, extremism. Um, it made sense that Arden was a sort of aspiring rapper. Um, and I realized at some point that his version of extremism and fanaticism is his music, is his creativity. Um, other, you know, the other characters have their versions. Selvon is, you know, construed, like obsessed with the physical, for example. His body, his body and other people's bodies. Um, Carolyn has to deal with extremism and, or, and violence in a very different way. And uh, uh, Yusuf and Irfan deal with religious extremism quite directly. But Arden's, for example, was his way of um, tuning that side of him that might have been ugly or um, difficult um, and challenging into a way that was beautiful um, um, and his way of dealing with the thing. And just before he comes out with those verses, he's again humiliated about a, month, a bunch of times in the book he is. And that, that to me, no, that's what that moment was about. Um, and also I think that's what those moments are about in real life. Like it sometimes is about that emotion um, carrying you through rather than um, anything else. 
Yeah, I, 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 I would. Uh, you know, weirdly, it's such. A, I was, I was contemplating whether to mention it just because it seems like a, such an off-key like uh, comparison, but it really it reminded me of of uh, Orwell's "Keep the Aspidistra Flying," where you've got this character um, who's like a frustrated poet, who's you know the, our viewpoint character. Comstock throughout the whole thing and he's at the end of each chapter you see like a paragraph of the poem he's working on and it's like a it's a bad poem but and it's about London and how he wants it how he wants to see it bombed uh like to the ground and how he's sick of it but right at the end it builds and builds and builds uh, uh like a stanza at a time and then right at the end you get to read the whole poem and 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 just when he's been humiliated and his life's completely gone to shit and suddenly and suddenly it's not and suddenly the poem that you've seen you read again with new eyes and it is transformed into this thing that feels like it's full you see, understand the genuine anger behind him that up until then it seemed a bit like he's being kind of like a cynic for the sake of it and it's un, it's it's a crazy bit of alchemy where it's suddenly moving and I felt like for this you know whatever you think about the uh, craft behind it he he's being real he's being completely fucking nakedly honest and that is that has a power and that's why the moment we because we know what he's been through and so when he when those bars like uh, have he's wearing his heart on his sleeve and there's something incredibly like noble and amazing and it's like and 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 fucking crazy about it as well you know he is like just jumping off the top board uh and and i think that's why it feels and that's why it captures for me like the exhilaration of like a uh, of like a, a a freestyle battle because like the yeah the craft is gonna kind of like be about coming out with stuff in the moment and plug all you can really do is plug into those genuine emotions because otherwise you'll have no content and you'll choke yeah yeah I'm I'm glad you felt that way. Yeah, I did. I did. I'm not asking you to kind of go. Actually, yeah, no, I'm gonna be. Uh, I've got a mixtape on the. Go- I'm not trying to. But I just I I thought it was really interesting, and it felt again. I think the reason I've zeroed in on it because you said that there were moments where you had to follow the characters and things that make you made you feel like they were risks, and but they were honest to the voice, and it felt like to me that would typified that. But I also think that that's a taste thing. Also, I don't know what um you're like with this, but. For me, like sometimes, even with films, uh, there are certain there there are certain comparisons I would, comparisons I was I would make, and, and and I know which side of the divide I would fall on. For a couple of years ago, there were two movies up for best picture or some shit. It was like, um, God, one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, there will be blood, and uh, No Country for Old Men were up for the best picture that same year. And everyone was gunning for No Country for All Men because it's a perfect film. It's like edited well, acted well. It's a perfectly constructed film. There Would Be Blood had some kind of propulsive, gutsy energy to it. Kind of fall, falls apart at the end. Kind of a mess. But God, you feel like you, you went through something after you watch that film. You know, I've had books like this also. Like books that kind of don't work, are kind of a mess, um, but you feel something there. You know the, the, what got put down came from somewhere. 
um, and it f feels elemental and real in a way that something that is um, almost too clinical wouldn't get you give you that feeling. I think that's what I'm more drawn towards. Um, and I think I think that's just what comes out with the writing as well. And usually you have that barometer while you're writing, right? And my death rattle would always be like, yeah, this is me thinking too much. Let me just go back and dial it down because later on I'll I'll think enough. Right now I kind of want to put something real on the page. It it just takes a lot of guts to do that, you know, because you always feel like at some stage you're going to, the music's going to stop and you'll be there like singing on your own out of key and you'll be like, fuck, if only I'd had like this, where's my complex intellectual framework to justify why I'm doing this crazy shit? Like that's... Just sing, just sing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, it's true. Like, at some point, it's it's a risk. But I also feel that as if all the anxiety comes from... It comes from expectations and it comes from all this other stuff that's got nothing to do with you writing. I think at some point, like, I know, like when I spoke about the first draft being, like, just this free-for-all, just put everything in there and see what comes out of it, like that for me that's necessary that's that is me singing alone off key without anyone around to applaud me that's like that's 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 me doing a thing just to explore a thing on my own because that's what's needed and then later on i need other opinions and i need other people to to come in and 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 uh, help me help me get better um but at that first point i feel that the bravery is n n it necessitates just not listening to anyone you know um, I don't know. It's a strange thing. A couple of years from now, I'll, I'll come back and talk, and we'll talk longer about like the second book process and the third book process. But it was so key for me to not to listen to anyone the first time, and not really worry about the band stop stopping playing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, guy, thank you so much for um, your time. I really appreciate. It. I've had an absolute fucking blast talking about uh, craft with you and all this stuff. Uh, if people want to find you on online on Twitter, places like that, where can they go? Yeah, just Twitter. It's just my name on Twitter, uh, Guy Grant. And uh, All yeah, right. I and I'll put a link to uh, in the show notes for anyone who's listening who uh, wants to pick up in our Madam Furious City. I'll put a, a, a link in the show notes to it and a link to uh, Guy's uh, Twitter and his website as well. Thanks so much for being on the show. I really, really appreciate it. And all the best with your next book. Thanks, man. Cheers.